0: Good morning, good morning, church family. It is good to be with you, and uh, I'm excited for us to share some time in the Word today. I have enjoyed so much uh, going through the book of John with you. Uh, I know we've been doing this for a while, but I like it, and so we're going to do it a little while longer. Uh, So I'm excited for us to continue to do that today, and I'm excited to share that with you. Uh, Good to have everyone back with us. Uh, We're going to start... With a prayer today, if we can, Uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We want to continue to give updates, uh, especially on the Thurman's. We've been praying and praying so hard uh, for the Thurman's. that were a family that worshiped with us for a long time that are down at Arms of Hope. And Anna, who's been through so much. And uh, the latest that I've heard is, you know, she's been out of ICU. She's been holding the baby. She's been able to feed the baby. We're really excited about that. And their, their prayer and their hope right now is that she would get to go home maybe this week. So we're going to be praying for that. Yeah. Our God is good. So if we can, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can stand in Christ alone, that we don't have to stand on any other shaky ground, that there is nothing else that is a firm foundation for us. Uh, We stand on uh, who Jesus is and what he did, and that he's our Lord and that we're his children and that we belong to him and that we're his disciples. And so our, our future is secure, our present is secure, and our past has been taken care of. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for the way that you have worked in the lives of the Thurman family. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you'll continue to heal Anna, let her get stronger and stronger. Uh, we pray that she will be able to go home this week. If she'll be able to uh, be back in her home with her children and her family. We pray for uh, that you would continue to give energy to Justin uh, as he uh, does what he can to try and serve his wife and his children during this time. And, Lord, we... Uh, We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your power. Uh, We thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, we also ask if you would be with uh, First Presbyterian Church this morning as Pastor Hernandez Garcia has his first Sunday to preach there at uh, First Presbyterian Church here in town. Lord, we ask that you would use him powerfully, uh, that you would use him to preach the gospel in powerful ways and that uh, through his words and the Holy Spirit's power that people would come to know who you are that those who don't know you and need to be redeemed would be redeemed, that those uh, who are lost and wondering what their life means and who they are would come to find themselves in Christ Jesus through their work. Be with that church. Let their uh, worship this morning and the words that are said be something that is pleasing to you. And, Lord, we ask the same of us. Uh, I ask that you would uh, give me the gift of preaching this morning, that you would guide my words in such a way uh, where people are able to see you clearly. And, Lord, uh, for... Uh, all of the weaknesses that I have, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to make up the difference and uh, pierce hearts with your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you. We're going to be in John 13 today, and here in a minute uh, we'll be reading. So if you have your Bibles or you have your journals or you have your Bible uh, technology device, whatever it is, uh, we're going to be in John 13. Uh, We're going to be in a familiar setting. It's the Last Supper. Uh, It is The meal that is had right before the big event. Uh, And I want to tell you, that's been on my mind a lot lately, is this last meal before the big event happens because Melissa and I are actually heading out today, right after church. We're going to get in a car, and we're going to drive to Colorado, and we're going to uh, get ready to uh, give my daughter away in marriage. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. Thank you. I'm kind of excited about that. It's kind of, you know, she's got... We got her walking me down. I'm walking her down the aisle. I'm doing the ceremony. I got to dance with her. I'm going to be dehydrated. I have a feeling <laughs> this is going to be really hard for me. But, but, you know, I get to thinking about that. We had this, that rehearsal dinner. You know, the idea of a rehearsal dinner. That's that last dinner before the big event. It's that time where we get together and we remember. And we don't just remember. We look backwards and we look forward. And it's that opportunity to maybe say those last things before everything changes. Right, I started thinking about that and going, you know, I'll have that meal, and that'll be the last meal that I'll have with my daughter before she's a wife, before everything changes for her, before she gets this new identity, before she becomes uh, this person now that's in this relationship that's completely different. And it's important because as a father, you want to be there and you want to go, man. I hope I've said all the things that matter. I, I hope I've told her uh, all of the things that she needs to know. I hope I've shown her how much she's loved. I hope I've shown her what, uh, and how important it is that she's my daughter, right? And so this is, this is that time to be able to do that. And what we have here is we have this Last Supper that you're very uh, probably familiar with because even outside of Christendom, people know about the Last Supper and what happened there. But this is that meal right before everything's about to change. Everything's about to change, not just for the people in that room, but for the whole world. There's going to be a new relationship. There's going to be a new reality that comes after this. This is the last chance that Jesus has to get together with his people and go, here's what really matters. And so he doesn't just say it in words, but he also does it in deed. And that's the part that we're going to be talking about today is indeed what he, what he shows at the very end. Because one of the things that it says about Jesus is that he wanted to love them to the very end. So if we can, let's get in John 13, verses 1 through 11. Now, before the feast of the Passover... And he lay aside his outer garments, and he took a towel, and he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. So this is a famous scene, and you know this. Washing feet's become a, 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 really a metaphor in a lot of ways for us. And one of the things I did was I brought some of the, the, uh, the tools that were happening here. I actually had a a dear friend who was a potter, and I got him to make me this basin, and I got him to make me this pitcher one time uh, as kind of reminders of what it means to wash people's feet and what really my role is uh, in the kingdom and in the church. And then I added this towel up here too because these are the things that kind of play a prominent part in what's about to happen here. And I want us to take a look at them, and I want us to see these because as Jesus said... He loved them completely and to the end. And that, that to the end means to the complete purpose. It, it means to my aim. I want to love you all the way to where you understand exactly what my aim is. And you understand the completion of what I'm trying to do. I want to show you all the way to the end of it. To the extent of my purpose and what I'm doing. And you need to know that this is a lesson that his disciples really needed to hear. You know, bless their hearts. They have a hard time with that. Not like us. Being a servant, serving others, we get that. But you look at that, and you look at these disciples, and you go, man, they really needed this lesson. Because I can tell you, Luke's telling, you know, the other author who wrote about the Last Supper, he mentions a different conversation that John doesn't mention that happens during this exact meal. As they got together for a Passover meal to remember how God had redeemed them out of Egypt and made them a free people, as they got together and Jesus was there trying to explain to them what's going to happen, and he told them about his own death, and he even mentioned about Judas and what was going on there, there's a discussion that arose. And this is Luke 22, 24 through 27. And this is what it says. A dispute also arose, this is in the same dinner, among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. The same meal that's going on the disciples are over there having an argument about which one of them's best. Bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. And then you go back and you find out even earlier in the ministry this was a problem. Because in Mark 10, stay with me here for a second, I'm showing you a few of these. Write these out in the margin if you want to. In Mark 10, 35 through 45, this is earlier in the ministry. Here's how a conversation went with some of his disciples. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, that is, and they said, Teacher, We want for you to do for us whatever we ask. It's a bold start. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I'm drinking. I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and with John. And Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant." whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so this is a lesson his disciples are having a hard time learning they're having a hard time grasping the idea of service they're having a hard time grasping the idea of who's the greatest and who's the least and they really seem to be interested in this whole idea of hierarchy and it's a very difficult lesson for us to learn it's not just them, but it's very hard for us as well. And so you need to know that what Jesus was doing in the John version of this, as he got up to wash their feet, he's teaching them a lesson that they desperately need to know. And it's not about cleanliness, and it's not even just about service, but really it's about who we are and who he is and who he's calling us to be and what we're supposed to be like. And, and don't forget, as we've gone through this with John, John is always interested in things of spirit and truth. There's always something deeper going on than just the physical part about this. There's something he wants to change in our spirit. There's something he wants us to understand to become different. And this is really what he's doing as he picks these items up. He takes pitcher and he takes basin and he takes towel and he wraps them around his waist and then he performs this act where he goes around and he washes their feet. And they don't get it. They really don't get it. They don't understand exactly what's going on. As a matter of fact, you can see Peter in particular doesn't get it. He's having a hard time with it. He's having a difficulty with this. For his rabbi, you need to understand, if you're a disciple and you have a rabbi, and you've come to believe that your rabbi is God in the flesh, at least in some way, Peter's also the one who said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And then to see him take towel and pitcher and basin... And Wash your feet. This is wrong. This doesn't go together This is not what a rabbi does. This is not what a king does. These are not the tools of the rabbi These are not the tools of a king. These are not the tools of God. These are the tools of a slave This is what a servant wields You're not supposed to have these Jesus my rabbi you're not supposed to be the one Bending down and putting yourself in such a posture where your face is down near my feet That's the wrong posture. That bent over, kneeling posture near my feet was saved for slaves and for servants. And it doesn't go. Royalty doesn't do this. Kings don't do this. These should not be the tools that you have. As a matter of fact, as a king, you should have robe and crown. And and even the way they're thinking about it, maybe sword. That's what you should have. Robe, crown, sword, not towel pitcher and basin this doesn't make any sense this doesn't work for us for you to sink that low this is not in the nature of a king this is not in the nature of a rabbi this is not in the nature of gods that we know to humble themselves in this way and this is not the posture of a king and that's really the issue here and that's one of the reasons that i titled this position versus posture see what he's looking at is going your posture doesn't make sense with your position See, Jesus, you have a position, and your position is king, and your position is rabbi. Your position is holy one, but you're taking a posture of servant and slave, and that doesn't go together. We have a hard time with that. See, position is your place in this world, right? It's kind of who you are, right? So, like, one of the things that I could do position-wise is I could say, I, I'm father. That's one of the things that I am. I'm, I'm husband. I'm son. You can be boss. You can be employee. You could be rabbi, king, royalty. All of these things. It's not things that are always under your control. Sometimes you're born into them. Sometimes they're given to you. But it has to do with your position in the way that people see you and where you are. Posture's different. So your position is who you are. Your posture is the way that you act. It's the way that you behave. It's the way that you put forth who you are. It's how you present yourself. It's the things that you do. It's your approach. It's your attitude towards others. As a matter of fact, we would say it's your heart. It's the revelation of your heart. That's posture. And it's different than your position. And when those two don't match, we sometimes get uncomfortable. We recognize it. It's something that we see. Now, when it's just a little bit... If it's just a little bit different, if you go, hey, the position's here, the posture's a little bit down here, we're okay with that. Like, for instance, one of the reasons that uh, Princess Diana was loved so much is because she had this position, right? She married into the royal family, and she had this. Her position was that she was princess. That's just who she was. But one of the things that she would do is she would always go spend her time with those that are hurting and those that are poor, She would humble herself in such a way that it made people attracted to her in some way. And they went, this is good. You see, for somebody to have a position here but sometimes go and spend time with those that are hurting, we like that. We're attracted to that. As long as it's just a little bit. Her posture was humble. But one of the things that can happen is when there's this great disparity between your position and your posture, it makes us really uncomfortable. And we know that it's not right. Like, for instance, if, if you were to get the opportunity to go over to England and go into Buckingham Palace, and they say, hey, you get to meet the queen, and you walked in, and as you walked in, she came and bowed to you. That would make you uncomfortable. You would have a hard time with that. You should, if you won't. Some of you seem to be okay with that. And going, ah. <laughs> sounds, sounds right, right? But the idea that the queen would come and bow to you, yeah, that would be like a, you're walking maybe in Austin, you come upon Matthew McConaughey, and he asks for your autograph. Right? That, the disparity there is you go, well, that makes me very uncomfortable. That's not the way this should work. There seems to be this big gap between position and posture. And that's the problem Peter's having with Jesus. Is He's going, for you to be so holy, for you to be so powerful, for you to be king, for you to be rabbi, and then for you to get down here and humiliate yourself like that, it makes me very uncomfortable. And we're not comfortable with that. Uh, you know, I saw a... <laughs> The, the idea of this disparity really clear. I had a friend in Austin who had a little boy. And the little boy was friends with some people whose last name was Ryan. And uh, they would hang out together and play. And one day, my friend's little boy went over to, to hang out with his friend, the Ryans, and said that, that um, they took us over to the grandpa's house. And so my friend was asking him, he's going, so son, you, you went over to the grandpa's house? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, this is Reed Ryan, right? And his dad, that's the grandpa, Nolan Ryan? And the kid goes, yeah, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> and he goes, you were at Nolan Ryan's house today? And he goes, I don't know, I guess. That's Nolan Ryan. And he goes, what was he like? And he goes, good grandpa makes a good burger. <laughs> right? And of course, my friend is going, do you have any idea who you were in the presence of? This is Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan. This is hold the record for most strikeouts that will never be broken, Nolan Ryan. This is the express, Nolan Ryan. And when you come back, you go, nice grandpa, makes a good burger. (laughs) See, there's a little difference there. There's a little difference in position and in posture. You know, you saw Nolan acting like a grandpa playing with his kids and cooking dinner. And one of the things that kind of blew my friend's mind a little bit, that idea... Because we get uncomfortable when we get put in a posture or someone gets put in a posture that's beneath their position. Now, I want to stop for a second. I want to tell you about something. This is not about being forced into a posture of servanthood. That's different. This is not that. And I want to make sure that we're very clear. This is not about being forced into it where in a relationship where one person dominates another person. This is not about people taking advantage of or manipulating or abusing someone to become their servant. That's not okay. And some of you may have experienced that in the past in the way that you were treating. Being forced into that is very different from from this. That's the problem with slavery, right? That's the problem with slavery in our world is the idea that we took somebody who has the same position as us, someone who's a human being like me, who has a body like me and a mind like me and is made in the image of God like me, and we force them into a posture where they have to serve in an inhumane way. That's what's wrong with slavery. you go, You took somebody from the same position... And you put them into a posture that's completely wrong. And that's where it really starts getting to abuse. Right? Instead, what we do is we start talking about the idea of servanthood. And when it comes up, that's one of the things that happens is people start going, well, let's talk freedom. Because if you want me to be a servant, you need to know that I want to be free. And if I'm going to be a servant, then I feel like I'm going to lose my freedom. And the problem with that is it's because we got a very skewed, messed up idea of what freedom is. We really don't understand it. We cling to this unrealistic idea of what freedom is because in our world, it says that freedom means that my life is my own. I get to remove all constraints from me whatsoever. There's no rules. There's no limitations. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. That's what freedom is. You go, yeah? Uh, Unless you love something. And if you love something, those rules of freedom don't work at all. Because if you love something or someone, you're going to trade. Freedom becomes this idea of trading, right? In the most simplistic way, I can tell you, is to go, hey, if I love my health and like being alive, then what I'm going to do is I'm not going to have the freedom to eat bacon every meal all the time. So I give up that freedom, right? It hurts. It's hard. I would love to have bacon every meal. But I give that up for the sake of something that I care about more which is my health and being around. So I trade those things. That's really what freedom is, is it's the idea of you being able to trade the thing that you love the most and trade the thing that you love the least for the thing that you love the most. There's always a trade when it comes to loving something. right? Complete freedom in our world is people saying, I get to do whatever I want all the time. Well, yeah, until you become a mom or a dad, right? You get that. The idea that I'd love to just pick up whenever I want, go jump in the car and take off, and I can go down the road, I can go to Austin, I can go to... Well, when you become a father, when you become a mother, you know you can't do that. When you become a husband, when you become a wife, you know you shouldn't do that. Just pick up and go whenever I want to and just leave. See, I trade that in for what I really want. And it's not about not having any constraints. It's not about not having any rules, I can do whatever I want. What it really is is understanding what I deeply love and being able to trade those things for what I love. That's what it looks like in a more complex situation. It's being a husband, being a father, being a mother, loving something. And we understand that voluntarily taking this posture of servanthood is something that we do for great love. And we're we're okay with that. It doesn't matter about our position. We're willing to take this role of servanthood. And that's the thing about Jesus is that he flips this whole thing upside down. Because Jesus says, see, the higher the position you actually have, the more of a servant you're going to be. That's why he says these weird things. Like the greatest among you must be the servant of all. If you want to be first, you should be last. He turns everything upside down and then shows you, That the Son of God, the one who's highest, will take the most humble place and use these tools right there. That's why I love that Philippians 2 scripture that we were reading together. That it says that being in the very nature God took on the nature of a servant. You see, being in nature God, that's his position. That's who he is. He is God. But then he took on the nature of a servant. That's his posture. That's what he chose to do. And because he's so secure in it and believed it completely and was it, he's able to serve in that way. One is about who you are, and the other one is about the posture that you take. And Jesus had the strength and the identity and the understanding to be that servant. See, that's what Peter didn't understand and that Jesus is trying to get him to understand. It is absolutely in my nature to do this. When you call me rabbi, when you call me king, when you call me son of God, you need to know, in my nature as those things, is to be the servant of all. That's why I came. That's my purpose. That's everything that I'm here for. And I know exactly who I am, and that's why I'm able to do this. My nature is to love, and love sacrifices and it serves. And perfect love sacrifices and serves perfectly and completely, to completion. To the end to love you to the end and Jesus gets to go as a matter of fact I'm the only one who can do this I'm the only one who can serve in this way I'm the only one who can sacrifice in this way and give everything that I have you know it reminds me a lot I've been thinking about this and stay with me I know this is this is a little different over the last few weeks I've been keeping up with this tragic story about the submarine that was lost and the five people that were in it it was a tragic story of the loss of life of those five people who got in that submarine, and they went down to the depths to see the Titanic. And what happened was the submarine was not strong enough to withstand it, and and their lives were lost. But the big thing that I remember about this is they kept talking about, how are we going to find help? When people need to be rescued, how are we going to find help? And the big question was, what's strong enough to go that low? That's what they kept saying. they, They have submarines, they have ships... But very few can go that low even if they were to find them who can save them What is strong enough to go that low? and be able to save them and I remember I kept thinking about this story with that and to go who's strong enough to stoop that low Who's strong enough to humble themselves that far? See, only Jesus can do that He's the only one that's so high that he can stoop that low and be able to save him. You have to be very strong to be able to do that. It reminds me of Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen when they talk about who God is. This is what it says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This idea of going, you want to know who I am? I can tell you who I am. I am the one who is at the high and holy place. That's who I am. That's my identity in every way. That's my position. But I take a posture to come down and be with those who are lowly, those who are contrite in spirit. That's what I do. And only he can do that much and in that way. He's the only one who has the position above all to take the posture below all and to pick up these things and to go wash the feet of his disciples. The only one who can go that low to save everybody and the interesting thing is with that you think this this wasn't about freedom jesus was completely free in every way you think he didn't want to do this or he was being forced to do this he was honored to do this these became the tools of strength in our savior when he went i'm happy honored to wrap the towel around my waist to get on my knees to pour water into this basin and to wash your feet they become the symbol of Jesus' strength. And they can for us, too. Because that's the thing, is Jesus doesn't just do this to say, this is who I am. He does it, and then he gives it to us. And he goes, this is who you are. This is going to be in your nature now. This is going to be who you're going to become. You're going to do these things. Jesus doesn't do this and say, I'm going to do this for you, now you do it for me. He said, I'm going to do this for you, now you go do it for each other this is what John 13 a little later in the chapter 12 through 17 says when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them now do you understand what I've done to you you call me teacher and Lord position and you're right for so I am if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet posture you also ought to wash one another's feet there's your assignment For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the way to a blessed life, is to remember who you are. You can do this. You can do this for each other. And that's the part where we really have to get and take a hard look at ourselves, folks. I mean, this is Jesus... Washing his disciples' feet who are about to abandon him and even the one who's betraying him. And sometimes we have a hard time because I got a petty squabble with my brother and sister here in church. Come on. The calling's much higher than that. If Jesus can wash the feet of the one who's about to betray him, you know that we can come in here and we can serve one another. We can pick up towel, basin, and pitcher. That's our call is to humble ourselves in that way. And the way that we do it is we remember the position that God's given us. See, you've been redeemed, and you're a new person. You're a child of the king. And if you get that, then you have the freedom to pick up, and you can serve. And there's great freedom in that, to wash each other's feet. If you understand who you are, it's easy. If you don't, it's really hard. I'll give you a little example of this one. So when I was in college... Uh, I was uh, studying in school, and I had a brother-in-law who had a landscaping company, and he hired me to sometimes go and mow yards. So I would go and mow yards in Abilene. And there was one place that we would go and mow, and it was on the nice side of town. It was over in Lytle Shores is what it was called, and it was by a little lake, and they had the nice water, and they had the big yards and the big fancy yards. And so I would go over there, and I would mow the yards. And I remember one day I'm over there, and uh, I'm mowing a yard, and I hear something, and I turn and look. And there's an older lady who's driving like this, you know, looking through the gap in the steering wheel, in a car that's about as long as from me to Bubba back there. It's that long. And she stopped in the middle of the road and she's hitting the horn. (laughs) And I turn and look and I kind of shut the mower off and she goes, Yard boy, yard boy, come here. And I remember going, Yard boy? (laughs) Like, okay. So I walk over and I said, yes, ma'am. And she goes, oh, good. You speak English. And I was like, okay. All right. And she said, do you know where this address is? And I looked at it and I was like, no, ma'am. You know, I really don't know where that is. I I don't live around here. And she goes, well, I didn't think you lived around here. (laughs) And I was like, okay. At that point, I was thinking of making something up and sending her the wrong direction, but I didn't. (laughs) And she goes, well, I didn't think that you lived around here. I'll find it on my own. By the way, you missed the spot right over there. And she drove off. (laughs) So I remember being there and thinking, yard boy. I was offended, right? I was offended. The fact was, I was a yard boy. That's exactly what I was. As a matter of fact, I was less than a yard boy because the guy I worked for was a yard boy. And I was just a temporary yard boy doing this. And being a yard boy is great. As a matter of fact, it helped me get through school. But for some reason, I had a problem with the fact that she put me in this position beneath her to serve her in this way. And then I believed it. And the reason it bothered me was because I believed it. I'll give you another one. This is when I learned a little bit more. I'd been in ministry for a few years, and I'd had a day where it was particularly hard, um, a lot of complaints. Some people are going, you're not doing this right, or you're not doing this right, and this, it, it was hard. It was just a hard day. And I remember I went to a man that was older than me, who's kind of a mentor, who had been in ministry for a long time. And I go, man, I feel like I'm not appreciated, and I feel like they don't get what I'm doing, and I feel like I put in all this work and they don't do this. And I'll never forget the words that he said in such great kindness and love. And he goes, brother, it sounds like you signed up to be a servant, and are now are upset because people are treating you that way. And I went, oh ouch and I want you to know he didn't say that in such a way to say hey buck up and just take it because frankly if he had said that I would have grown into resentment right the idea of going just take it and and you need to know this is not an excuse to treat treat ministers in a poor servant way okay I'm not saying that didn't say that this helped me grow and if you want to help me grow just treat me no I'm not saying that What I am saying, though, is he helped me frame things in such a way. To go, you signed up to follow Jesus. This is the guy you want to serve. And if you want to sign up with him, as he says, then you pick up the towel, you pick up the pitcher, and you pick up the bowl. And you go to work. Now, here's the part, brother. That's you, too. That's what you signed up for. You signed up to follow Jesus. And he goes, you want to follow me? Grab a towel, grab a pitcher, and grab a bowl because this is what we do. And it doesn't make you less. It makes you more like Jesus. How can you be less if you're more like Jesus? There's no way that that can happen. These are not the tools of a king as the way that the world sees them. These are the tools of a servant. But for us, you need to understand these are the tools of our rabbi. These are the tools of our savior. This is what he did. And we can follow that. A lot of you know that. And you've spent time doing something like this. Some of you have been a mother or a father to a child with special needs and you have had to wrap that towel and you have served those children well. Some of you have had parents that were not able to take care of themselves anymore. You put on that towel, picked up that pitcher and that bowl, and you got dirty And you washed their feet and you cared for them. Some of you have had to do it with spouses. As your spouse's body faded away. And maybe their mind did too. And you had to put yourself into the spot where you have to take care of one that you love. And you realize that that great love is what made it not only okay, it made it fine to put on this towel and pick up this pitcher and to pick up this bowl. It was an honor, right? Yeah. I know some of you know this exactly. It was an honor for you to take your place and to love them in that way. It was an honor to get down on your knees and to serve in that way. That's what great love does. Great love takes our position and allows us to take this posture. And we get to do that. That's who we are. Now, let me tell you another one before I close out here because I want to switch this around a little bit. Some of you, you don't have a hard time at all with the idea of going, wrapping that towel and that pitcher in that bowl, no problem. I can do it. Let's go serve. Until I ask you to get in the other chair and let us wash your feet. And all of a sudden, you are very uncomfortable. And you're really having a hard time. Because that's a vulnerable spot, too. And that messes with your idea of position and posture. Because you're really comfortable serving other people, and you're really comfortable helping them. And then all of a sudden when you go, you sit down and let us do this for you. And you go, I don't want you seeing my feet. (laughs) I don't want you serving me. And it makes me really uncomfortable. And I want to tell you, I love you. But that is legalism in the same way it would be as if you weren't a servant. Is thinking you can't be served in that way. Here's why. This is the problem Peter had is to go, Lord, I cannot let you serve me in that way. It's not right. And Jesus goes, if you don't, You can't have a part in what I'm doing. You have to let me serve you. You have to be okay with it. You have to let me humble myself. You have to let me wash your feet. You have to let me get my glory. And when it talks about the glory of Jesus, you need to know the glory of Jesus led straight to the cross by way of washing feet. My glory will come from my service to you. That's who we are, people of God. We are people who we have, the Lord has served. He has humbled himself to make us new, to wash us clean in every single way. That's who we are. That's what makes us have a position where we belong to God. That's what makes us sons and daughters of the king, is that we were washed in humility by our Savior. That is our identity as much as anything. And when we realize we have the position of sons and daughters of the king, we can wash We can get on our knees. We can wash the feet of each other. We can wash the feet of those in the world. We can wash the feet of those that are even our enemies. And we can serve them because we know who we are and we know who we belong to. We're going to stop for a little bit and we're going to pray. If you would stand with me. And we're going to have elders, ministers around. And uh, if you'd like to pray with somebody near you do if you want to pray with one of us come pray with us If you want to stop where you are and thank the lord for the fact that he washed you clean And the humility that he went through to make sure and do that Then you do that if you need help with the idea going i'm struggling being a servant come and pray with us We want to talk to you in any way We want to encourage you and let me tell you this if you don't belong to christ yet He's asking the same thing. I want to wash you clean I've already paid the price I've already humbled myself. I've already been on the cross. All you have to do is just let me wash you clean. We would love to talk to you about what it means for you to become a follower of Christ in that way. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing a couple of songs. Lord God, we thank you so much for the example that you set for us. Lord, we thank you that your glory was in service, and your glory was in humility, that your glory was washing the feet of those that followed you, and not only that, but washing us all clean in what you did on the cross. Lord, we're thankful for the empty tomb That we know that you still live and that you continue to wash us clean. The blood of Christ continuously makes us without guilt and without shame. It has set our position with you as secure. We belong to you. We are without sin because of the work of Christ. And Lord, we believe that and we live in that. Give us courage to serve. Uh, Let us joyfully take up towel, pitcher, and basin and wash the feet of those around us. Let us be people of great service. If we would become a church that loves each other well, washes each other's feet well, sacrifices for one another, the world will know, and they will come to believe in you. And so, Lord, make us a people like that. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.